0: Psalm 145, verses 1 through 9. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, unabounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made.
1: Thank you Bruce and I, I appreciate him reading i 'd also appreciate you keeping that open because we 'll be looking at several places uh, in psalm one hundred and forty five kind of walking through that scripture this morning. You know It really is a privilege each week we come together as a church family it doesn 't take it 's not that hard to look around and realize how many multiple generations there are represented in the Ogletown church family. I think that really really is a gift from the Lord that we have that and it also doesn 't take much to realize the fact that you have multiple generations represented in a church like ours. It also means there are differences in those generations uh, that there, there are many we could talk the rest of the rest of the day about the differences that each generation brings to the table there are there are times where technology or communication style or music or convenience, all these things may shape a generation very, very differently. And, and we recognize that. And I guess for me, I mean, I, I could certainly focus on a lot of the differences and there might be help in that, but I, I'm, I'm more inclined to ask what, what is it that we share in common? What is the constant that, that stays true even as we worship together as a multi-generational church family? What is it that is the same? What do we share in common? Does it, and, and here's something that I also think about quite a bit, is does the, just the fact that we have so many different generations represented, does that mean something for our church? Should it mean something? Should, should it mean something? Should that be something that we have a special responsibility to handle well, to be a good steward of? Over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about that a lot. And particularly the opportunities that the Lord's been burdening my heart with because we have so many generations. I want us to look again at Psalm 145, what Bruce read a moment ago. Psalm 145, particularly look at verse 4. It says, one generation. That's why my attention is drawn to this psalm. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And you skip down to verse 6. They, this, this generation, shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And David makes it personal and says, I will declare your greatness. And while this psalm talks a lot about generations, it talks primarily about God. About this God who is constant in the generations. And I, I think as we, as we look at this psalm this week, as we look at some other places in Scripture next week, I think we can gain some insight into some of the purposes God has in his designing our church family the way he has. I think it'd be easy to not appreciate what it means for one generation commending God's works to another generation. It might be easy to not fully appreciate that. So I do want to set that in contrast. I think a pretty sharp contrast, a pretty dark contrast of what happens when one generation does not commend God's grace and God's works to another generation. So it doesn't always go like that. What happens when it goes a very different path? Judges chapter two says this. So this is the time of Joshua and Judges. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 years and they buried him. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then read, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What a huge difference! So, Psalm 145 is this glowing picture of one generation passing it on to another generation. And Judges 2 is this frightening picture of what happens when that gets derailed. When a whole generation rises up that forgets God and doesn't know his works. What could make a, a difference in future generations putting their hope in God? When I talk about generations, I, I think I need to be clear right from the outset. I'm not merely talking about a biological family. With like kind of that that family tree, I'm actually thinking of it more in the line, more the way Jesus talks about generations. So it's certainly not less than biological family, but it's much more because we actually have a spiritual family. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, and some of those are younger, and some of those are older. And, and we have we have a commitment there in our church family to pass to pass what's been given us to another generation, whether whether we are biologically related or not, how can we serve them walking with God, knowing him and making his mighty works known? It's especially real and important that we answer that question because we had over a dozen babies born to our church family in 2017. And every week, hundreds worship at Ogletown Baptist Church that are either in preschool or elementary school, or middle school, or high school, or in college, or in maybe their early 20s. I mean, we have a huge responsibility here. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to think about this together. Okay, what can we do to take what we've been given and and hand it off well, and continually hand it off well to another generation? And what the Bible doesn't give us here is any sort of formula or recipe, add a cup of this, a third teaspoon. It doesn't do that doesn't give us this fail, fail-safe plan because life doesn't work like that. What it does give us is a psalm of praise, and I want us to dig in Psalm 145 and hear from David, like, okay, what will it take to hand that on well? Here's where I believe it all starts. I think to pass something on to the generations, you must have a deep, personal encounter with the Lord. I think this is where it starts. To pass something on, it means that you have a deep personal encounter with the Lord. I read the the pronouns that David uses. As he starts off in verse 1 and he says, I will extol you. I. And I will will bless your name in verse 2. I will praise your name in verse 2. Verse 5, I will meditate, I will declare in verse 6. My mouth can't help but speak about what's going on in my heart in verse 21. There's something going on to David and it's very personal to him. And it goes deep, it goes deep into who God is and and how God works. So David could say, in my encounter with the Lord, I found him to be a God of infinite greatness. His greatness, he says in verse 3, is unsearchable. This isn't something he's, he's admiring from a distance. This is very personal to David. And I think it must be personal with us. He's a God who acts mightily in verse 4. He's a God who does things in verse 6 that are awesome. And the encounter sounds so confident, so confident that toward the end of the psalm, it's like he's overflowing with confidence. And he says, you know this, if you call on his name, if you call on him, he will be near to you. He has such confidence in God that he says, "If whoever fears him, whoever fears him, he, he will satisfy your desires. He says, if you, if you obey him, if you walk with him, even in verse 20, whoever loves him, as we love him, he preserves us. And all of this is still producing a sense of awe, like you get a, get a sense in many of the Psalms, this one in particular, like David is, I can't believe this. I can't believe who he is. I can't believe how he works. But lest we miss kind of, and, and only see like the greatness of God, he says in verse eight, nine, he pulls it back even further and he says, I, I am amazed at the love of God. Because he says in verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. David is overwhelmed by the love and the goodness of God. And this isn't something he read about in a theology book. This isn't something that he just heard about. This is something he's experienced. He knows that this God is gracious. And this God loves him. David is overwhelmed by the love of And the goodness of God, and he can't help but be moved by it. And so, among many other things, I feel like that that leads me to ask a question today. And that is, is the deep personal encounter with God that David had, do you share any of that kind of experience? Does it correspond with your experience? And maybe you can think back to even a particular time. Or maybe it's not so much tied to a particular time, but maybe just the season of life where this amazing, great, loving God became so real to you. And so the question I I want to ask today is that same God, has who God is and how he works been something that has actually been life-changing and life-altering to you? Is it something that like your encounter with the Lord and who he is, it travels in the lane of the the thing that you're most excited about? Or, Or is it something like just kind of on the periphery of your life? Is it something that centers and shapes and guides most how you think? So you can't imagine God in his goodness and his power not being in your life. does it does it begin to guide and shape this encounter you have with the lord does it shape what you love does it shape what you want does it shape the ideas the things you buy into does it does it get down into into like what your whole life is about even even to the point of like your retirement or your plans for investment does it shape that does it shape the relationships that matter the most to you? Is it shaping right now the image that you want to portray to the world as this is who I am? Does, does your deep encounter with the Lord, does it shape that? Does it have any effect there? Does it shape your, your career track? Does it, does it shape the career aspirations and the educational aspirations you have? Does it, does it get there? Does it ever come to your mind when you're thinking of those things? Your communication, your entertainment, your hobbies, the way you allocate the 168 hours of a week you're given, does it, does it have, a, have a shaping influence on that? Does it push you in places where if it weren't for who God is and what he's done and his love and his greatness, you actually might make a whole other set of decisions but you're being shaped by this, maybe even doing things immediately that you'd say, I didn't necessarily want to do this, but I know who God is. And I know what he said. When it comes to that, my life's in his hands. Does it, does it shape you like that? What I'm talking about doesn't just like segment out. I'm talking about you can't just like stuff in a room for an hour on a Sunday and then leave. What I'm talking about is something that actually goes with you. Something that you can't shake. And I think if anything's going to be passed on to another generation, it will, it will start here. It will start with our own deep encounter with the Lord. And I, I, hope, I hope you don't mishear me saying the only people who can pass anything on are people that are, are perfect. People that only live like on the mountaintop spiritually all the time because that is, that is just absolutely not what I'm saying. I, I was thinking about some of the deepest encounters I've had with the Lord. Some of the times where I felt his nearness. Sometimes when I, sometimes when I felt like I understood the things about the Lord in, in a deeper way than I've ever known before. And actually more of those, as I thought about it, more of those are attached to the times where I failed the Lord. Where I haven't walked in the right path and God has gotten my attention and I had to come back to him, not, not like showing him all of the good deeds I've done, but actually coming to him in repentance and remorse, saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, you promised to redeem me and you promised to forgive me, and I need those promises now. It's sometimes at those very moments that you have the deepest encounter with the Lord Exactly because I'm not perfect, because you're not perfect. And you begin to see him for all he is and you experience his mercy and forgiveness and his restoration in a fresh way. What will make the difference? What will make a difference is your deep personal encounter with the Lord. Okay, so just peel back all the layers of religious traditionalism you might have or even might not have. Certainly not just about what a church or family was always a member of. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. Because you can't ride someone else's experience on this. You can't manufacture it. You can't manipulate it. You can't pretend because God knows who you are. Have you had this encounter with the Lord? Are you having this regular encounter with the Lord? I think this is where it starts. And I think it's never less than this. But I think it's much more than this. So people all over the world have a variety of encounters, spiritual encounters, religious encounters. What the psalmist reminds us is that for generations to be impacted, this, this encounter must be connected to a larger story, a much larger story. So it's not just that I've had this deep you know, encounter that has shaken my life, but it's actually that that encounter is only part of a much larger story I read in this Psalm where, where David is talking about the mighty acts of God or the wondrous works of God or the awesome deeds of God. And I, and, and I hear when David's talking about this, this isn't him talking about some myth, some legend, you know, Atlas holding the world on his shoulders or some impersonal force. This isn't, this isn't that. David can think through concrete ways that God has shown himself to be strong in a big story and in tangible ways. It's actually actually an eternal story in which God has has shown himself in human history. How do I know it's an eternal story? When David opens up this psalm in verse 1, he uses the words forever and ever. And when he closes out the psalm in verse 21, he uses the words forever and ever. And in the middle of the psalm in verse 13, he says this, Your kingdom, Lord, is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. So, so David recognizes there are generations and God's kingdom, his dominion, God's in charge of all of those. And so what David knows is everlasting, forever and ever. It goes from eternity past and eternity future. The story that God's writing which we've had a deep encounter with this God. There's something about that that David said, it's unsearchable. It's just interesting to me, though, the words that are regularly used in Scripture. So as I read in, especially the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, as you read those first several books, when you read the words like mighty acts or mighty deeds or the awesome works of God or the signs and the wonders, most often, most often as you read, you realize what the author is regularly talking about is this story of deliverance from Egypt. So it's not just a, a, an ambiguous story. The story that God is writing, this eternal story of what we are connected to is a much larger story. It's an eternal story, but it's a, it's a salvation story as well. And as the writers would write about God's awesome deeds, often they would be talking about how God brought his people out of Egypt and how he parted the Red Sea and how he fed them in the wilderness and how he brought them to the promised land, how he led them over Jordan, how he gave them the the land of Canaan. This is the awesome deeds, the mighty works of God. They were something real in history. And they told of how God saved and how God rescued miracles, surprises, and God's faithfulness. And and David says, yeah, This is what we have to tell another generation. This is what we get to talk about to another generation. And I think about David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus even came, like he only knew part of it, didn't he? Maybe by faith he saw more. But a thousand years later, God's got more mighty deeds to do, more wondrous works, more awesome deeds. As as God becomes flesh and Christ comes and suffers and rises from the dead, destroying sin and death and hell and the grave, awesome deeds. And David only knew part of it, but what he did know is he said, this salvation story, this is worth telling. The story that we now have filled out is that we were known and loved before the foundations of the world. We are known and loved before we are even born. When Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave in victory and sent the Holy Spirit to seal us, it means forever and ever we're his. We're his. We can bless his name forever. The eternal story is this rescue story. But I do have to wonder, I mean... As David's writing about God's awesome deeds, about his wondrous works? I don't know. I'm tempted to wonder, did David also have another thing in mind? Did he have the day where he was just watching sheep and God was ready to anoint another king and sent Samuel? Did he have in mind the wondrous work of God when he was in the valley of Elah and he was met by Goliath? and god did an awesome work did david think about the mighty deeds of god as he thought about jonathan his friend and the relationship a friendship that sustained david's soul did david think about the the caves where he was hiding and running for his life in which god met him and preserved him in those caves did David think about the awesome deeds of the Lord when David actually was anointed and appointed as king over Israel? When the Ark of the Covenant comes back into Israel? I mean, was David thinking about all these? Because this is what I know, this much larger story. It's an eternal story and it's a rescue story, but it, it has a way of shaping our own personal story. We begin to see this God who worked in eternity work in our lives. I think it's helpful. It's helpful. I think it's important that you meditate on this. Where has God shown strength, his strength in your life? Where did you make that decision that ended up ha- having amazing consequences that you didn't even know at the time? But God opened this door and you walk through it and now you look at your life and go, I, my life would have been totally different. What if you took, and I want to encourage you to do this, what if you took 15 minutes maybe today, this afternoon, this evening, before you go to bed today? Just took 10, 15 minutes, and you began to think about the goodness, the greatness of God, the mercy of God in your story, where he showed up time and time again, where he directed you, where he guided you. Yeah, think back to those decisions you made that have had Tons of consequences. Think about those mistakes you made. Think about the the sins that we all have committed. Think about the move that that move, maybe it wasn't even yours, maybe it was a family member's, but that changed your life. Think about the loss. Think about grief. Think about joy. Think about healing. Think about restoration. Think about Triumph. Think about where God gave you peace. You see, we need to remind ourselves of God working this story because the world also is telling another story. It's a competing story to the, the story that, that I'm sharing with you today. And over and over again, we get indoctrinated in this story. And the story goes something like this. You just being you and everyone celebrating you just being you is the best thing ever. And when all's said and done... That's the best goal, just you being you, and you just struggle all your life for that, and give all your attention to just you being you. and every hope and dream will be realized if you could just be you. And it's a small, pathetic story in comparison to the story that goes like this: God knows you, and God loves you. and God. Has made it possible for you to be forgiven. God has an offer of salvation to you, and God can change you, and God can make you more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can have a relationship with, and you can submit to, and you can live your whole earthly life and then eternal life giving glory to the most important being in the universe. That's the story you want to live for. That's the story you want, want to give your life to be a part of. So there's this deep encounter we have with the Lord. And then it's connected. We see it's connected actually to the greatest story ever told. But I think there's one more piece. And that is this story and this deep encounter has, has to find a place where it gets verbalized. It gets verbalized publicly and continuously. It gets verbalized See, these words, this is, what it, this is what David is saying. I will extol. It's a, it's, a, it's a word of verbalizing something. I will exalt. I will lift high in praise. I will bless. I will praise. He says in verse 4, a, a generation will commend. He will, will declare in verse 4. will pour forth your praises. We'll sing them aloud. We'll speak of them in verse 11. We'll make them known in verse 12. Verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord it says in this psalm, verse 2, I'll do it every day, every day, continuously, I'll do this. This deep encounter is something that goes verbal. It's put into words, and maybe, you are know, like, talking in front of people is not your favorite thing. Could you write it? Could you verbalize it? Could you put it into words, some words? And it may not even do justice to the encounter you've had with the Lord. It may not do justice to the story, but could you... Could you say, this is what God's happened? Could you verbalize it? You see, when we have this encounter with the Lord, it, it almost begs that, that we say something about it. This is the way even, even life works. So, someone does this amazing thing, even in sports, and we have the, the post game interview where it's like, oh, let's talk about it, right? How did it feel? How do you think your life's going to change? What was going through your mind as this happened? And then they try to give words as best as they can. I don't have to be prompted to tell you about something I really, I'm really enjoying, I find interesting or compelling. It goes something like, you know, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you about something that happened to me. You have to go to this place. You have to listen to this thing. It's because it's shaping our hearts. We find words to verbalize it. When we gather together as a worship service, we're, we're gathering together and we're doing this. We're saying, you alone can rescue. You alone can save. How deep the Father's love for, for us. This is, this is exactly what we're doing. As we pray and as we, we even praise the Lord, but this isn't where it stopped. Again, it's not this compartmentalized where we just have this group of people kind of knows us and sees us talking about this a lot, but there's another universe of people that have never heard us one time give any indication that our lives have been shaped by this deep encounter with the Lord. Sometimes I I think we try to let ourselves off the hook. Well, they'll see my life. They'll know kind of what's in my heart. Will they? Are you positive? Are you positive? Or could it be just the subtle difference when you're walking through a big decision that you have to make and you're communicating among friends or family or coworkers and you say, I'm praying and I've got a lot of people praying for me and I know God's guiding me and I'm seeking his will on this because he really matters to me. You could say something like that and declare the goodness of the Lord. You go through suffering. You could say, I'm so grateful for my church family that I know they're, they're helping share this burden because it, it is really hard. When you're facing other difficult things, you could talk about the hope that you have. And, and, and sure, it, it very well could sound weird to maybe to a lot of people around for you to say, you know, I really trust in the Lord. I really have peace about this because I know God's at work. I know I, I can have hope because I, I really believe His promise. We put it into words. When the light comes on, we we begin to talk about it. And if God's work, if God is at work in your life, I think He's designed you to be a part of a community that's going to pass it on. It's going to declare it to another generation. You you talk and you think about something like this. And in my mind, I immediately go to some of the influences on my life and think about how they verbalized. It's not just that they were good people. They verbalized their, their faith in the Lord. So I have a Bible from my mom. Her writing, the first notes that she ever made as a Christian when she came to faith nearly 30 years old. I have these cards that are down in my study and they're probably written by my dad a couple months before he passed away. And they're prayer requests of other men that he was praying for their lives and this thing going on in their family. And in that, I'm seeing this meant something to him. It's worth passing on to another generation. I can think about my immediate family, but I also think about a 10th grade teacher I had, and God bless the 10th grade teachers that had me in their class. I'm mellow now. I was not so much then. And I think of this teacher that's still today I'm a friend of, and still today I'll see when I go back home and how he articulated a deep love for the Lord and pushed me to have the same. I think about a person I worked for in the summers in my college years. I remember going into his office. It was at a Christian camp, and I remember going into his office, and he'd say, versus he had been working on memorizing, and I'd say, versus I had been working on memorizing, and in that moment, he, he was doing more than just being my boss. He was shaping my life, and I still remember it, and still very, very grateful for his influence in my life. But then I, I just can project that forward, and I think of all the conversations I've had with people at this church. I think about talking with, uh, with a man, uh, Howard Ham Sr. And I remember talking with him and praying with him, and I, he, he knew his last days were, were just about there. And I remember praying with him, and then I got done, and kind of when you're the pastor, you say amen, you think the prayer time's done, but it wasn't done because Howard was then ready to pray. And he prayed with full confidence, like... Jesus, I'm ready to meet you. My life's in your hands. You think those kind of things aren't worth like passing on to a generation? I think of our friend Kayla that went home to be with the Lord. I remember in January talking with her next door in my office and just hearing her say, I have such a desire, I, I, I want to please the Lord and I want him to use my life. You think that's not worth passing on? I mean, things like that fuel fuel my heart. Not just to be a pastor, but just to walk with Jesus. To please him. To not just kind of limp across the finish line, but to run, to sprint, to be faithful to the end. Most of the things that have impacted me have not been that dramatic. They've just been small. You could even call them ordinary, but they've been faithful. People have been faithful, and they've verbalized their faith to me. And so... So that's my heart this morning. And I think, I, I think I've preached enough, but actually the work's not done today. Because I want, I want you to, to begin thinking about those moments, those decisions, those, those times of your life. I want you to think about those and I, I want you to process those for the next few moments. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and in a moment, we'll, we'll sing together. But, but right now, what I want is for you to think about how God's been at work, and I want you to kind of put together those, some of those big moments of your life, and I, I want you to think about, like, how do I verbalize this? Should, should we have someone over to dinner? Should I share this with someone? Should I write it down so someone can see? How can I verbalize this? How can I take what God has shaped me with and work hard here? Work hard to beat off the excuses, because there might be every excuse in the world why, yeah, you, you can do that another time. But no, no, no. Right now, one one generation can commend God's works to another. Would you be willing to share a piece of it, piece of your life with a friend, with a family member? Could you open up about your failure in God's faithfulness? I think we could. I think God will bring things to mind. So maybe we just take the next few moments. Maybe this... Good time for you to pray. Maybe it's a good time for you to think and ask the Lord, like, Lord, help me see the path here where I might verbalize it. So let's take a minute and do that. And then just a moment, we'll be led to sing.